Hey guys, I'm Eric McLean. And I'm Kelly Gramlich. It's time to talk some ACC football. Let's go. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome in to the Gramlich and McLean podcast. We are here to continue our ACC under review series. Episode 9 of this series with the Syracuse Orange. We have Matt Park on, the voice of the Orange. So super excited for this episode, Mac. And we will, this is Monday, so tonight the ACC schedule is going to be released. We will release a reaction episode to that tomorrow. So we'll take a little break in the ACC Under Review series. Obviously, Mac, we have to do that because this is the first schedule release too without division. So I'm very intrigued to see what happens. And I think for a team like Syracuse, you're probably thinking, okay, we don't have to play. We most likely don't have to play Clemson and FSU this year. Great. We're good for We're good with that. <laughs> I can't wait to see it, KG. It's going to be so much fun breaking that thing down, just seeing who is where, what's what. I think we kind of know who's playing each other, but maybe not when. And, and that's what's going to be really yeah. exciting just to see that kind of unfold there. Because as we know, timing is everything. And some of these teams, man, you, you get lined up with Clemson, FSU, Notre Dame, back to back to back. I mean, that's not fun. Nobody wants to do that. So we'll see uh, who gets hit with that. And, uh, you know, maybe some early favorites on who's going to be playing in the championship game. I think a lot of people's minds already made up and maybe you and I's as well. But uh, we'll be excited to break all that down. But today it is all about the Q's Orange. Matt Park, our guy. And if you haven't been paying attention to this ACC under review, guys, we're giving away socks. Rock'em socks, to be specific, each and every episode. So, Cuse Orange fans, look out. We're going to have some really fun stuff coming. Check it out on Twitter. You get some socks. You get some socks. You get some socks. That's what we're doing. We've teamed up with Rock'em Socks, the world's largest sock store. They have over 10,000 exclusive designs, including your favorite college football programs, every single ACC program, pro sports leagues, entertainment properties. They have TV shows. They've got Ted Lasso. They've got Friends. They've got everything that you could ever want on that website. And the Syracuse socks are really cool. They they truly, when we say unique designs, people think, okay, whatever. No, every single ACC school has that unique flavor of that school. So you're going to want to go check it out at rock'emsocks.com. That's right, KG. And if you're not selected randomly on Twitter, I've got great news. Just go to rock'emsocks.com, get every sock you could possibly want. And then use our code GML20. We're going to save you 20% there on your first order. Get it all done. Find your new pair of Lucky Game Socks. Your team will very much appreciate that. Get them back in the win column. Get them going. (laughs) That's right. Okay, so go to rock'emsocks.com. Use our code. But now it is time to talk with the voice of the Syracuse Orange, Matt Park. Matt, welcome in. And I mean, look, what a crazy season for Syracuse in so many different ways. Starting off 6-0, and getting up to number 14 in the country, losing five straight, finishing 7-5, and going to a bowl, but losing in a crazy way to Minnesota. I mean, so many things to unpack here. How would you just describe this season for Syracuse? Well, it's obviously unusual. You know, if you take it on balance, uh, clearly in August, uh, everybody would have said, you know, if you, if you offered up, seven and six, going to a bowl game, uh, most people would have taken that. And once the season unfolded, it obviously leaves you with different feelings than uh, had you made that trade uh, back in August. You get up to 6-0, and, oh, and you're, uh, you already have your bowl ticket halfway through the season. 
Um, you certainly readjust uh, the goals and ideas and what's the team capable of, and they didn't really live up to much more after that. So uh, that does leave a little bit of a, a sour taste. I think if you just take the overall realistic snapshot of uh, where things are, that they're better off now than they were uh, exactly a year ago. So uh, there's certainly some reason for optimism and, and things heading in the right direction, but it was a very unusual uh, year, almost historic. Oh, there's only been a couple of teams ever that have gone 6-0 and and then lost six in a row, and, and Syracuse uh, might have done that had it not been for, you know, the final game of the year was at Boston College, which uh, provides a little bit of uh, comfort there and uh, and made the bowl game. Could have won the bowl game, but, uh, you know, bowls are so unusual now. Uh, the way they are, they're, they're basically a, a crapshoot or a toss-up, and and uh, they weren't able to finish that one. Yeah, they definitely are. And, you know, we just talked to Paul Rogers. We did Louisville last week. And I was calling Louisville's season one of the weirdest seasons. But I think Syracuse also falls into that category. And, of course, they started off the year playing against each other, which I think is just perfect. But in, in your estimation, Matt, I remember that Clemson game. There was so much hype. We hyped it up. We did a huge episode for it. And Syracuse played well in that game and, and had every chance in the world. And then after that, it just felt like, you know, everything kind of went a different way. What happened after the Clemson game? Well, you know, and I know Coach Babers and I have talked about this quite a bit over the years. Clemson has bigger, better material than anybody else in the conference. When you, and you guys know that. When you uh, play Clemson, you might have a difficult time the next week. I, I, in the NFL season this year, it was unprecedented, right? I think the 49ers had the season that the team that, uh, after playing the 49ers, they lost the next week the entire season. It's never happened before in, in NFL history. And Clemson and some of these other teams have the propensity to do that. And uh, Syracuse had a couple of those in a row. We always knew, at the again, from the summer last year going into the season, you knew that three games in a row in October, uh, NC State, Clemson, Notre Dame, that had a chance to be three consecutive top 10 teams. It, it didn't quite work out that way because of, Notre Dame's uh, slow start, but those three teams are tough to beat, and they're going to put a bruising on you. And uh, mm -hmm. that's historically what's happened here with Clemson. You know, the uh, even the famous year of beating Clemson in the dome, and what you know wasn't that great, and whose house, and all that kind of stuff that that's exciting. They didn't win a game the rest of the regular season, and it's almost like it's a, it's a trade off, you know. So uh, beating Clemson can put you on the map in a way, and, and there's a lot of positives. But you do pay the price. Yeah, man, a super interesting way to look at that and just the physicality that those guys bring and, and understanding the depth and, and building that and, you know, different things of that nature. And just to, to look on a really positive side, I mean, the offense this year looked completely different. Obviously, Coach and I came in, revamped that thing. We know that he's gone. He's moved on to NC State. But Coach Beck is, is still there, and he's been with the Knife for so long. And Garrett Schrader's back and uh, Aranda Gatson's. But all these pieces that, you know, I think Q's fans should be very excited about and understand that, you know, Beck has been with the Knife so long. He's going to understand that and, and really, you know, be able to put his twist on it. But I think there's a lot of optimism for this Syracuse offense going into 23. Yeah, I think, you know, and I know you're going to want to talk about the coaching departures and the, the turnover of the, of the staff there. I think if you just isolated at the coordinator positions alone, offensive and defensive coordinator, you can make the case that there was an upgrade at both. And that's not in any way to disparage uh, Robert and I or Tony White, who left. They were very good coaches. Be happy if they were here, uh, but they're not. And when you get Jason back, you have 
the younger version of somebody who has really he's been the nuts of the thing going from Virginia to to Syracuse and, and what have you. And I think he's ready, willing, and able. I don't expect there to be a drop off there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously it's a learning curve to to learn the rhythm of calling a game and and that type of thing. He'll put his own spin on it. Uh, I think you can be excited about the coordinator position. Now, obviously, there's a lot of other things that determine uh, how good your offense is going to be. On the defensive side, Tony White was a very good defensive coordinator. He's moved on. You tip your cap. But then when you bring in Rocky Long, you've got the guy who basically literally invented the defense that you play. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that, that's got to be a plus. You know, he's 72 years old. It's unconventional. But you know, there is a plan there, and and uh, so I think those two, uh, those two specific positions on the coaching staff, I think are in good shape and do give you a reason uh, for optimism. Yeah. Uh, they don't invent yeah. players, but they're going to you know help recruit and retain <laughs> them, uh, develop them. That's what's got to happen here. Yeah, and, and I think again, you, you look at the you know the one player that just looked night and day different to me, and and that was Garrett Schrader. And, and with just love your opinion on things that you saw again, knowing that you're with this team. You know, so much. What was the biggest area of improvement for Garrett Schrader? Well, Garrett has seen a lot of football, you know, and for a while there. Well, now he's going to have another coordinator, right? So this is what five coordinators in five years, basically, for Garrett Schrader. When you count his time at Mississippi State, uh, clearly he wasn't a fit there. They uh, moved him to uh, wide receiver even for a time, so uh, he wanted to get back and get out and play quarterback and. His skills are evident. You see what he, he's able to do. He's uh, big and can run and throw. I think what this staff did was try to isolate his strengths, make the decisions easier for him, allow him to play with more confidence and faster. He's excited. I'm sure you guys saw the quote you know, in the bolt preparations that you know, this is the most fun I've had playing football in, in my time in college, and that was just in a couple of weeks with Jason Beck. I, I think they have a tremendous rapport. I'm not concerned at all about the quarterback position uh, for the coming year. I, I think Garrett will be very good. He's going to complete two-thirds of his passes. He's going to run uh, to more than a, just a threat uh, for the defense, a legitimate uh, dual-threat productive uh, player there. You know, the, the question is going to be what else is around him, you know, the offensive line and the perimeter and, and that type of thing. So, uh, but, but that specific position, um, that relationship, coordinator and uh, quarterback, I, I think is solid. Agreed on that. And we'll get to the offensive line in a second. But I do think Jason back in his youth and you look at the quarterbacks he's coached, Taysom Hill at BYU, um, all those guys at Virginia and, of course, now Garrett Schrader, it feels like it just is a really good fit. So I'm excited to see that. And, look, we all know Sean Tucker. All right. He was one of the best to ever do it at Syracuse. Um, he's hopefully pleased with his career. You know, we'll, we'll see. I think he may have tweeted that out before we look ahead to next year. Just what's Sean Tucker's legacy at Syracuse? You know, uh, walk softly and carry a big stick, right? Is that the, the expression? He, you know, didn't say boo to anybody. Uh, very quiet, <laughs> exceptionally productive, uh, I think everybody thinks, well, you know, if some is good, more is better. And, and uh, if you do X in your sophomore year, you're going to do X and a half your, your junior year and senior. It doesn't really work out that way. He ran for 1,500 yards as a sophomore. And I was really taken aback. And he didn't say he didn't mean it statistically necessarily. But when Coach Babers is coming out, oh, he's better this year. He's going to uh, – that's a lot to say. And because he was just so dynamic, so many explosive plays – 
He had a 50-yard touchdown run three, four weeks in a row uh, the prior season. And to live up to that is, is very difficult. And I think there's a number of reasons that he didn't uh, produce the same type of numbers, and not the least of which is in the opening quarter of the opening game of the season, Chris Elmore, who's a tight end fullback lead blocker, he went down out for the year with an ACL. And Coach Babers told me after the season that they scrapped maybe 25% of what they had worked up in the preseason with Robert and I. They had all these packages and things that they were excited about with Chris Elmore as a lead uh, blocker. In fact, you know, some of the coaches have told me in the last two seasons, it's going to we might be so obvious that our offense is tied to him that that might be a problem, you know, but uh, (laughs) in terms of him tipping off where they were going and and that kind of thing. Well, this year that wasn't a factor because he didn't play, but he also didn't play, you know, he didn't do anything. So um, Tucker didn't have that. He did have a a continuity at the offensive line and he had an okay year and he'll likely be drafted. And I hope he goes on and has a, a very successful NFL career, but that'll be his legacy here that, he was as productive as any of the greats that you can name. Uh, didn't say a lot, didn't call attention to himself, and uh, and that'll be it. And I, I think we're pretty excited about the next guy. You know, LaQuint Allen has uh, shown a lot of promise. New Jersey State Player of the Year uh, got some things going in the bowl game, and and he the the backup running back doesn't play a ton here if the starter's as good as Sean Tucker, but now the starter's as good as LaQuint Allen. So uh, we'll see what he's able to do. Matt, you read my mind there with LaQuint Allen, and I thought what he saw, what we saw from him in the bowl game was really impressive. Kind of that next man up. I mean, I think Syracuse has had, a, obviously we know they've had a lot of great running backs in the past, but do you feel like LaQuint Allen's going to be that workhorse, fill the Sean Tucker role as best as he can next year? Yeah, I, I think the, the what makes LaQuint Allen stand out is he is a football player. He could line up at a lot of different positions and do things for you. He, like Tucker, but even maybe more so, can catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, He can really go in the open field. He can run between the tackles. He is the kind of guy that I'm sure in high school dominated at, you know, six or eight different positions. So, you know, in college football doesn't work uh, quite that way. But um, I really think that they'll have some things that are creative for him, take advantage of his strengths. Uh, You know, clearly uh, recruiting in depth, uh, you know, need to improve and and to have more options and have a strong backup behind him and and all of those types of things. But, uh, you know, there are a handful of areas that I don't have any concern about uh, for the coming season. And that's one of them. (laughs) I love it, man. Let's have another, you know, kind of three headed monster here with Schrader, Rondé Gatson and LaQuint Allen. And, And I mentioned the other two earlier and just looking at Gatson and his emergence. I mean, it was just kind of like. We're, we're sitting there on the huddle, and it's, it's who the heck is that? Who, who is this guy? And it was like play after play, and then it was just more creative as the season went on. I mean, we line him up as a H-back. We line him up as a running back, do a rail route out of the backfield, wide open touchdown. He's just a mismatch problem. Anywhere he goes, it's like Waldo. You, you better know, you know where he's lining up. W- what made him so special? And I guess how can we expect to see – that synergy, that relationship between Schrader and Gatson, even take another step this next coming season? Yeah, I think with Aronde, it's interesting that being the son of an NFL player, you know, not a Hall of Famer or anything, but, but and in fact, he didn't, you can't say he grew up around it. He, he was just barely born when his father was done uh, in his, you know, career with the, the Miami Dolphins. Uh, but I think he's got a great, approach, frame of mind, and good advice. 
uh, we were talking about, you know, why why is he maybe turned down NIL deals to go elsewhere? And I think if you think about it, if your father's in the NFL and says, look, you got a good situation. You're catching a lot of balls. You're doing what you're doing now. People know who you are. You know, yes, there might be a, a little bit of a bigger stage out there, but you don't know what you're getting when you go across the street to a, another place, another system, another quarterback, another coach. So uh, he likes where he is. We, we had kind of a funny thing during the, the season. He, I don't know, third or fourth game, he, well, the Purdue game, he had the game-winning touchdown catch, and I'm trying to, I think that may have been it. We made a remark about how uh, tame he was, you know, just kind of caught it and thought, okay, you know, business as usual. And he had that approach really the most of the season, and I made some remark about that in the in the office, and people said, well, you forget after his first touchdown, he nearly hit the roof of the dome by throwing <laughs> the ball straight up in the air and got a, got a penalty and that. And so that was kind of talked, knocked out of him right away, you know, and whether talked yeah. out of him or coached out of him or whatever, or he got it out of his system. And from, uh, from that point forward, he was a very business-like uh, player. He posts people up. He is a matchup problem. I, I think it's weird to call him a tight end. He's not a tight end. It's right. Yeah. I think that's weird too. Yeah. <laughs> he's not, um, he's not lining up right next to the tackle and blocking right. people and, and that's fine. Who, who cares? You know, um, but he is a very dangerous matchup uh, based on where he's put on the field. And I expect that to continue. Something tells me maybe dad gave him a call or had a, had a chat with him after he threw that ball up at the ceiling. But I, I really like what you said there, Matt, the advice part and just having a dad who's been in the business and knows what it's like to handle this whole journey in a professional way. And some kids need better advice. And it sounds like Aranda Gadsden's getting good advice. Um, let's talk about the O-line. I think when we want to say something, or at least ask a question about maybe some issues with the O-line, I ask the question. If if we want to say some great things about the O-line, maybe Mack will ask it because, you know, he loves the O-line so much. But Syracuse gave up 43 sacks last year. Schrader was sacked 13 or 13, 33 times. Um, and, you know, that was an issue. And, of course, Schrader had the injury. And so the uh, the main focus for Syracuse always is keeping Garrett Schrader healthy because you need him out there. So what was your evaluation of the O-line this year and how do you think it can improve moving forward? Well, it's going to be difficult. I mean, the, the biggest thing about this year's line is at least it was a little more standard than the previous season. The, the previous year they had seven different starting offensive line combinations. This year it was pretty well intact the first uh, three quarters of the season and then some things started to accumulate and you're dealing with some shuffles. And, you know, they only had one or two backups that they felt really good about uh, putting in the game. So once you get more than that, you're exposed. Um, I would say a little bit with the, the Schrader sack count is he's a player whose one of his strengths is extending the play, uh, making things happen with his legs. So maybe he once or twice uh, has the ball a little longer than he should or eats it in, in that way. Matt, I'm so glad that you just pointed that out because nobody else will. They just see, oh, four sacks, the O-line must have sucked. No, they didn't see the quarterback run out of bounds two yards <laughs> short of the line of scrimmage. Right. Yeah, and so that that happened uh, here and there. Uh, not terribly concerned. Now, what was the story? You know, Tommy DeVito goes and has a pretty good year at Illinois, and every broadcast I watch flips it on. Oh, he's so glad to be not getting pounded and buried every game because he played behind the Syracuse offensive line, and he got sacked a ton. Here and he wound up on his back a lot, and and uh, it was tough going for him. 
Uh, Schrader's a more mobile uh, kind of player and makes things happen. I'm not concerned about the the actual sack count. I mean, you'd like to have fewer, of course. But the biggest concern here with the offensive line is I think you have to augment through uh, older players, transfers in, whether it's from a four-year school or a junior college or, or what have you, because you just can't pop a 18-, 19-year-old freshman into that spot and, and think they're going to be productive in this league because uh, that's very difficult. So uh, they'll develop there. Uh, that's one of the areas, obviously, where there's a change in the coaching staff. And and so I would imagine there'll be a setback at that position just by the nature of the career start. You know, this is the experience. Last year, they opened the year with more than 100 career starts, and it'll be nowhere near that this year. Yeah, and the good thing is, like you said, that transfer portal. I mean, it is a instant relief type thing where, where you don't have to just bring in a guy you know, and, and wait two, three, four years for him to develop. You you can go find some older guys. So it'll be fascinating, you know, kind of after spring ball in summer, you know, when some more things kind of unfold to Syracuse, find some guys there. Matt, let's look over at the defensive side of the ball because th- this is maybe the most intriguing piece of this Syracuse team to me because the first six games of the year, man, they were so dominant, so good. And, and really what I expected from that unit, I mean, I, I said many a times preseason, this defense is going to be nasty. When you look at those linebackers, when you look at the scheme, when you look at how old they are, those two shutdown corners, man, maybe the best in the country duo, and then injuries start falling in. And then we start facing some really heavy run teams in, in that three three five. It's hard to go against that, man. It really is, especially when you have some injuries there. So maybe just give us your your quick overview of the defense, and then we'll dive into some individual efforts there. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I think, you know, the season played up to what we thought it would, that they were pretty strong in the uh, the back group. The, uh, the front was thin. Uh, Terry Lockett, the defensive tackle, went out early in the season. So now you had Kayvon Darton in at that position, and he, he's kind of the – uh, Rudy effect here. He's you know 270 <laughs> pounds. When when maybe on another team he'd be 320, um, and he you know played his butt off. But it's just asking a lot from that position. I think the defensive line held its own. They've got a couple of uh, promising playmakers there. Uh, most notably in terms of the youngsters is Jatias Gear, who played quite a bit as a, a redshirt freshman this year. He gets after the passer. Uh, Caleb Okachuku is back. He'll anchor that group. Uh, as a, a veteran, good leader, somebody that the, the whole team respects. The, the next level, Mikel Jones was just a really, really good ACC football player, and he's a pro, and uh, losing him is not uh, a benefit for your defense. So uh, when he went out late in the year, uh, that was a problem. Uh, Marlo Wax, exceptionally productive uh, outside linebacker, was with him, and he'll be back. Uh, so uh, people are excited about that. And then the defensive back group, has been really pretty dynamic uh, these last couple of years. But now, you know, that's where other programs have targeted players. You're talking about two guys who transferred out to the the Big Ten and the SEC, mm-hmm. two, you know, a couple more that are uh, trying their hand at the pro draft. And uh, you're going to have to replenish there. Now, they have a little bit with uh, transfers in and that type of thing, some uh, people that fit that same type of profile. But the, there's going to be work to do there. Yeah, and – I'm actually going to kind of go off the beaten path right here because I am interested, Matt, in, in your opinion on this. With and I'm not saying that this happened, but we've seen it certainly other places with the the tampering, with poaching of players, and all these different things. What 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 is your mindset on all of that? I mean, it, it can't be good for college football at the end of the day. I don't think it is, but you know, you can spend the whole 
whole day yeah. talking about it. <laughs> right. Again, what, what's your what, calendar? What, what's your schedule you know, look like? <laughs> what's your, yeah, what's your perspective? You know, um, yeah. how did we get here? We got here for student athlete rights, a student athlete uh, mobility, student athlete marketing. Um, there are unintended consequences. Uh, I, I think it's just what's happened. It's a free market. It is a free for all. And I, I don't know, tam I'm not claiming tampering or anything like that. I have no idea if any of that stuff goes on, but clearly you're, there's always been a hierarchy. The idea that, oh, we're creating a level playing field or something is nonsense. But what you're doing is, you know, to me, it's, it's kind of a farm system type deal. And if you have the payroll and the opportunity through NIL or what have you to poach, you're grabbing somebody a little lower on the food chain or, and that's what's happening, you know? And I, so I think it's hard to develop players. It's hard to maintain. You have to re-recruit your entire team every year. Um, I don't, I don't know that it's great. I mean, but I, I'm not your typical fan probably either. You know, I think you'd have to ask them, do you, do you want to, um, you want to root for the same players for two, three years? But again, in college football, it was only two, three, four years anyway to begin with. We're not talking about, you know, Brett Favre leading Darren Rodgers and, and whatever out, out there. So um, in retrospect, I think there was a big loss in terms of the NIL to right from the start understand, let's put some parameters on this that makes sense, whether it's uh, caps, guidelines, any of that. But because none of that was ever really done, now it's the wild, wild west. You've heard that expression before. And whatever market forces are out there are going to come to pass. Now, it, it, the wheels are going to turn more slowly than a, a college career lasts. You know, when any of these guys think, oh, I'm just going to go over here for a year and play and I'm going to go to the NFL draft. The time it's going to take for that whole cycle of NIL realizing, is this worth their investment or not? Is it working? How should we do it? What kind of money do we need? give to the volleyball team. What kind, that's all going to take years uh, to sort its way out. And it's fine, you know, just whatever your metaphor is here, let, just let it kind of uh, play out. But the, the shelf life of any individual athlete is uh, moving much more quickly than, than those things are. I do think, though, and I like to spin the positive when I can, um, I do think, you know, for a school like Syracuse or – just a school that maybe doesn't get your five stars, your four stars generally. What TCU did this year using the portal has to be very encouraging. And I think encouraging for a lot of other schools. I mean, I know they obviously got blown out in the 90, but to get there using mainly the portal, not having, I mean, TCU has obviously some money to work with, but I do think that's encouraging for Syracuse and for other schools out there as well. And Matt, I want to ask you this too. We can't ignore the fact that especially at the beginning of the season, the 6-0 and run, the JMA Wireless Dome, which that's still hard for me to say, uh, was rocking. It was packed. I mean, the, the environments were really great. Did you feel like there was a lot of legitimate excitement around Syracuse, especially early in the season? Yeah, I think as that built, uh, you know, people want to see a winner. People want events. And when you start building it up, hey, 5, 6, and 0, oh, and you're able to say this is the biggest game since blank, it, it maybe brings people out to the game that aren't, uh, every week, uh, season ticket holders and, and going to be there no matter what. So I think there's that. I think that here specifically, the student section deserves a great credit that they've never really been known as um, creating much of a, a buzz going on here. And then after COVID, 
I think just think they were itching to get out and do something. And the, the bar has just been set much higher in the last two or three seasons um, with the student section. And that sort of creates a vibe that, hey, it can be fun at these games and, and let's let that uh, spread around. And when the team rewards it and you win games here and there, uh, absolutely. I, I think there's the the build and the buzz, you know, the, the schedule's about to come out uh, for next season and, and uh, you know, people. that's what you do at this time of year. You're trying to sell football tickets and, <laughs> and you know, that type of thing for the, the coming year. So uh, we'll see how well that uh, converts. But uh, with the new roof on the building and the scoreboard and that type of thing, we're really capable of doing some neat things and keeping the sound in and, and making it loud. It's uh, it's a tough place to be if you're an offense on third down, that's for sure. <laughs> There's no question about it. I had my fair share of those, uh, but being able to see it in person this year uh, when we came and visited you guys, I mean, it's beautiful, very well done. And like KG and you said, that student section, they bring it, man. And uh, excited for the future. Matt, appreciate your time, man. This was a ton of fun and appreciate your coverage. Thanks for joining us today. Sounds good, guys. Thanks. Keep up the good work. Thanks again to Matt for joining us. We all know it's basketball season, and I know he's very busy, so we appreciate Matt's time. And a lot of very interesting nuggets from Matt. He's not a guy to sugarcoat it. I respect that. He's excited about Garrett Schrader and Aronde Gadsden next year, and LaQuint Allen. I think LaQuint Allen is definitely a name that people are going to want to watch. He's going to get a lot of run. He's going to get a lot of carries and maybe being used a little more in the receiving game as well. But I do think the coordinator changes at Syracuse are the most interesting with Anai being there for a year and then leaving for NC State. He's just kind of making his his trek around ACC schools. And his protege, if you will, Jason Beck, taking over, who was at BYU, who coached Taysom Hill at BYU. Taysom Hill, Garrett Schrader, I think it makes a lot of sense. He coached Brennan Armstrong, Bryce Perkins at Virginia, of course. So I think just having a, a young mind in there and a guy that, as Matt told us, has a really good relationship with Schrader is going to be interesting. And then bringing in Rocky Long as your D.C., who's coached for nearly 50 years, who was a head coach for 20 years, who basically invented the 3-3-5. That's interesting. And I, I like what Matt said, like no, no knock against the previous coordinators, but it feels like you probably upgraded at both positions, Matt. Yeah, and very interesting kind of you know perspective there. But when you look at it and, and you think of, okay, you have a guy that created this thing, a guy that made it very popular, brought it to the light and, and designed it for so long, you know, and, and I really like what he said that there's a plan in place. So to me, mm-hmm. bring in Rocky for a couple of years. You're grooming somebody. Somebody is just an absolute sponge, taking everything that they can from him. And then there's that natural elevation of DC that eventually will will occur there. So I love the move. Um, I mean, anytime you're bringing in the Godfather of a defense, specifically, you got to feel really good about that. And then all those things that you said about you know Coach Beck there. I, I think that. You know, doing some some research on him, you know, many moons ago when when we were talking with him and doing these different things, just the the biggest, I guess, highlight that that people love to talk about is is his calmness, his his just in the moment type thing. That when there's chaos happening everywhere else, he's just right here, centered, ready to go. Let's play offense. Let's be very cerebral about what we want to do. And I think quarterbacks like that. I think that you know, it's it's the hardest, most difficult position in all of sport. You need somebody in your corner that can be that voice of reason. I think that's exactly what he is. So excited to see you know his his career take another chapter here and get much more responsibility. As as Matt said, you know, getting in the rhythm of calling a game and figuring out how you want to do things like that will certainly be a, a little bit of a learning curve. But I think he's more than ready for this. So very excited for both coordinators. 
Uh, it, it, very excited for Garrett Schrader to be back. I, I think that he can certainly take his game to another level. Just the little things, and and you know, I kind of got fired up a little bit about it right there. But not running out of bounds, not putting your team behind the chains when you can just throw it away, making a decision quicker, knowing to get to a checkdown, get the ball out of your hands. There's no point to 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 take those you know negative plays or to get hit for no reason, just going out of bounds, whether it's a one yard gain or or a, a negative play. Uh, when, when certainly the yardage you need is much more than that. So excited to see how can he take it to another level. Aronde Gadsden, the things that he can do. Again, that synergy, I can't talk about that enough, how important it is for a wide receiver and a quarterback and to be on the same page. I mean, we, we could see some really fun things there from those guys. Uh, and, and then lastly, just the defense, losing so many great pieces that – Man, they've been there for quite some time. They've been developed by Syracuse, some going to other places, some going to the NFL. I, I just have to assume there's guys ready in the wing, but there's going to be some growing pains there, and, and, and excited to see that. We'll break the schedule down, as KG said, all tomorrow. Cannot wait to see that thing. We'll give you our thoughts, instant analysis there. It'll be up at, I think KG posted like 4 a.m. She gets up every day at 4. It's crazy to post these episodes on YouTube and on Apple Podcasts. But that's it from us, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Another great episode, Gramlick and Mac Lane. If you don't have SiriusXM, go get that. Go download it. Get it on your phone. Get it in your car. But also, we need you to go to YouTube. Subscribe. Leave some comments. So much fun hearing from you guys over there. And, of course, on Apple Podcasts, the OGs. Rate, review, subscribe. We would greatly appreciate that. But until next time, we'll see you all.